Hello and welcome to the Politican Podcast with me, Ben Murray and Stuart Thompson. So Stuart, how have you been? How's, how's the past couple of weeks been? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, it was always a sort of a constant struggle to keep up to date with everything that politicians and Parliament and not just Westminster, but Scotland and Wales are, are up to. So uh, there's always, always, I think, plenty to keep us busy. Yeah, especially in the past couple of weeks. I feel like it's been absolutely manic the last couple of weeks and there's been loads of kind of like news breaking, which obviously we're going to kind of go into, but there's been loads of kind of like political announcements that have been quite big as well, I'd say. Um, so, I mean, like starting with some of the breaking news, I was going to suggest maybe we start with the WhatsApp messages from Matt Hancock and we could kind of go into that. Yeah, um, they're fascinating, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, and, and and you're right. The trouble is, as we start to get closer and closer to an election, we get more and more, not just not necessarily WhatsApp leaks or, you know, uh, information being provided to the media, but just stuff from politicians, from government. Suddenly we start to get loads more information because they want to dominate the, uh, you know, the proverbial airways. That's it. And we're, we're still kind of like 18 months out from the next general election. And it just seems to be ramping up week on week, doesn't it? It'll get, it'll um, get even better. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Started this at the right time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, I mean, just starting on the, the WhatsApp messages, I mean, just to give a bit of background to this. So, basically, Isabel Oakeshott, who's a high-profile journalist and, and book writer, um, she was hired by Matt Hancock to write his autobiography, about COVID, and I think it's been in a bit of a bid to improve his image um, alongside other things he's been doing around I'm a Celebrity and God knows what else. Um, but as part of this, I think he, he gave her access to all his WhatsApp messages, which she's now leaked to the Telegraph, and it's basically exposed all the conversations that he was having with other senior like ministers, the Prime Minister, um, loads of government officials and stuff like that. And it, it was looking basically at like how they made major decisions during the pandemic and how they communicated during the pandemic. I just, I find it a bit crazy, Stuart. I don't know like what, you, what you've made of it. Uh, it it's partly, it partly tells us something about the way that governments work nowadays, I think. So, you know, in the old days it was emails. Uh, everybody put stuff on emails that they shouldn't have put on emails. And now they put things on WhatsApp messages that they shouldn't put on WhatsApp messages. Everybody gets a bit relaxed. Everybody thinks that they're talking to their bezzy mates all the time. And that's fine for the messages themselves. We all talk about things in a certain way with certain people that actually, when exposed to the light of day, may come across quite badly. But the question is whether government should operate like that. You know, should ministers and advisors talk in those sorts of ways? Should they be having discussions in those sorts of terms? I think it's really I'm not sure it's particularly healthy, uh, if I'm being honest, without sounding like a complete sort of old what's it. Um, so there's, there's there's that. I mean, look, I mean, I worked for a law firm for years. And one of the things that I always remember lawyers saying is, you know, don't put things on emails that you wouldn't want the public to see. Because these things invariably do become or There's always a danger of them becoming public. So especially for ministers, these are interesting, and it's uh, you know when Isabel uh, Oakeshott was talking in the in the media and sort of you know justifying the position that she's taken and giving these emails across quite freely to the uh, you know to the Telegraph and then writing about them, she kept saying you know this sort of public interest defence. She kept saying it's in the public interest of it. So that's obviously you know if if this ever went to court, and I'm not sure Matt Hancock will take it to court anyway. But if it if it did, that's obviously what she's going to say is that you know these were so much in the public interest. I felt you know obliged to then 
you know provide them yeah. you know to the media um so that that so but on that basis there are very few things that potentially would be secret forever so oh, look if you're a, if you're a minister particularly but if you're working across government just be really careful about what you write down yeah that that's it Stuart. and I, I was wondering like about like paper trails because obviously i've worked in kind of like the public sector before and obviously like sometimes you get foi and, and stuff like that and like I, I was thinking to myself these are really kind of major decisions that were just being kind of taken over whatsapp and stuff like that so like when it comes to kind of accountability and stuff like you know how are they kind of justifying this so say you know say they, they do get kind of foi or they get how have they been kind of justifying this do they show people the whatsapp messages or, or is it like it just looks a bit amateur night to me do you know what i mean it's it doesn't look very official it doesn't look very strategic it just looks like it's done on the back of a fag packet really and yeah uh, no, i agree with you i think it, you know it, it puts all those sorts of questions there is this a is this the way that government should be you know discussing issues and taking decisions i'm i'm, I'm with you ben but i don't i'm not sure it, it fits particularly well it doesn't show lots of thought through you know, decision making or how the evidence was weighed up or, you know, anything of those sorts. And especially in COVID, you know, really difficult decisions. So nobody nobody's gonna blame government for making the decisions that it that made if they were well thought through. This sort of leans into the idea that it was all a bit ad hoc and you know, where does that leave us with the other sort of not bigger issues, but other issues related to COVID as well. Now, I do feel a bit sorry for Matt Hancock. I don't think anybody's gonna say that out loud too often, but it is very easy to take messages like that out of context and this is going to be looked at by the public inquiry now whether they would have had access to and they should do i believe but whether they would have access to all of those messages but just think about that covid inquiry that's matt hancock you've got boris's messages you've got you know rishi sunak's messages you've got gavin williamson's messages you've got dominic Rao's messages you've got Michael Gove's messages, you've got, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing out loads of really important mm. ministers in that list. I can't remember what the number was. Hundreds of thousands of messages mm. just from, from Matt, Matt Hancock. How is that public inquiry going to take all of, if, if it gets them, if it can get them, how's it even got the time and the resources or the effort? That's a mammoth task to plough through all of those things. I mean, yeah. crikey, I'm not sure I, yeah, I feel very sorry for the people that would have to going to read all of those. Well, I was going to ask that, Stuart, where does it actually leave the public inquiry now? Because, like, obviously this is a big chunk of it that's been kind of dug up. Like, do we know kind of where it's up to and do we know where it kind of leave, leaves it? Do you know what I mean? Because I've not really, in all honesty, I know they've been talking about it a lot and it's it's been a bit of a defence mechanism, hasn't it, for a, a lot of questions that's been put to kind of governments. It's been a bit like, oh, the inquiry will kind of tackle that issue or whatever. But it just seems like they've been kicking it into the long grass. And I just wonder, like, now these messages have come to light, where, where does it leave Where does it leave the, the kind of inquiry? It, it's very difficult for the inquiry. I mean, the inquiry is sort of up and running. And, you know, it, it, it has a chair and it has its terms of reference. Um, and I believe it sort of started to, to work through those. So, but it's a problem of timing. And I think this is one that Keir Starmer tried to pick up, I think, at the last Prime Minister's question time. If you're the opposition, you want this inquiry to try and wrap up nice and quickly before the next general election. Now, it's better, you know, from a non-cynical perspective, that's better because if there's going to be another pandemic, we're better prepared. 
So what worked, what didn't work, you know, some lessons learned and we can apply those quickly. So in that sense, it's much better if the inquiry is sort of shorter and sharper in, in, in that sense. Whilst, of course, listening to particularly the victims, and the families. And I know there's a lot of you know families of COVID out there that, that really want to say and quite rightly want to have their you know, the voice is heard. So I'm not dismissing those by any stretch of the imagination. That's a really critically important part of the inquiry. But there's something for a shorter and sharper so we can get lessons. More cynically, of course, if you have the conclusions before the next general election, if there are fingers to be pointed, i.e. hello, Matt Hancock, you didn't do this very well, or hello, Boris, you didn't really give that bit of information across, then it's out for the next general election. So that any of the opposition parties can go, well, they may claim they had the fastest vaccine rollout, but we also had the highest deaths as a result of X or Y or Z, you know, Z decisions. Don't take our word for it. That's what the public inquiry has found. So that's a more cynical version. But, you know, that's that's, you know, it's, I think that certainly part of the political movements around that. Now, the trouble is with these Hancock um you know, the, the WhatsApp message you're being given, it's sort of suggesting that there's a lot in there, potentially across a wider government, in these messages. So if the inquiry does start to think, you know, feels un- I'm not sure about under pressure. I mean, you know, they're independent, they can do what they want. But if, if there's a sort of a groundswell of opinion, maybe from the families as, as well as from the, uh, you know, from the from the chair of the inquiry as well, to look at wider messages, then that's going to put implications for resources, but timescale as well. 100%, yeah, 100%. I mean, just just moving to kind of like a bit of the public debate around these messages and stuff like that, Stuart, where do we think this whole saga kind of leaves the Conservatives going back to kind of the run-up to the general election and stuff like that? Have they come out of this looking badly? I mean, I've not really seen much on kind of like Rishi Sunak yet, which I was expecting some stuff to kind of come out on Rishi, but not really seen anything on that. It seems it's more around Matt Hancock. Um, so, so yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, how do they look in the public opinion? I think, I mean, look, they, they, and of course, Boris keeps saying about fastest vaccine rollout, wouldn't have been able to do this within the European Union, therefore it's a Brexit bonus, etc. Now, there are equally other people that say that's utter tosh and we could have done this, you know, we could have done it within Europe, you know, the European Union anyway, so therefore that's that's a red herring. And was it the fastest vaccine rollout? Well, yes, it was, but actually that was round one, not the boosters. And So there are various ways you can cut up this particular pie and take bits that you think make you look better than the not, which, again, comes back to the critical importance of the public inquiry. And will it look at Rishi and others? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah it will, it will. And... As they go through different parts of the COVID response, obviously a lot of it is to do with you know care homes and and testing, but equally, eat out to help out. If I get that around the right way, uh, <laughs> will be in there as well. The lockdowns, more generally, of which the economic part argument was, you know, certainly, you know, a major aspect of lockdown one, two, three, future lockdowns, etc. So all these various members of the then government will come under scrutiny during the public inquiry and it will be paid out in public as well so this will keep the pressure on the current government for some period of time 
But whether we get the conclusions this side of the election, you know, doubtful, doubtful, especially, you know, as as we talked about last time, you know, depending on when that election may actually be. And look, if it, you know, again, cynically, if it looks like it's going really badly, if the public inquiry looks like it's going to find some, you know, smoking, you know, jabs, I was trying to, you know, trying to mix my own <laughs> slightly, but, uh, you know, there's no reason one government going to go, oh, let's get, let's get out, let's get the election over and done with before this really bad report comes out. That's, that's entire, that's, you know, again, hugely yeah. cynical, but, but, but possible. We'll see, we'll see. So you still stick into the uh, early general election? Shout then, Stuart. Uh, I do. I, do I'll, I'll, I, you know, I reserve my position on that, Ben. I think I, no, I mean, <laughs> certainly in terms of the, um, you know, the, the Northern Ireland deal that he's come up with, and then we're coming on to the sort of the Windsor framework now. But, um, you know, it, it looks like he might have secured some a, a deal that looks a bit more acceptable to a number of audiences. So maybe that puts off the general election a little bit more but um yeah you, you know i think you're right you're right to shift this shift us on to, the, to that bit and the general election possibly yeah i mean it was seamless wasn't it Stuart? really you know, yeah, you know almost uh, like we knew what we were doing <laughs> yeah indeed indeed so yeah i mean just moving on to i suppose this is the other really big bit of news that's come out over the past couple of weeks is around this windsor framework um that Rishi seems to have kind of come up with to tackle these issues that we were talking about on the last last podcast around the Brexit negotiation with Northern Ireland. Um, and we, we was kind of saying last last time that we think this could be a major issue for Rishi to kind of get it through the House of Commons, get it, get, I suppose, get it past the DUP and all that kind of stuff. But it looks like he's managed to get a deal that pleases all sides. Um I was just going to ask you, can you give a quick background to kind of what's happened with this Windsor framework, what it is? And maybe like, you know, why why have no other leaders been able to do this, but Rishi has? Well, it seems like they just, I think both sides have just taken the negotiations a little bit more seriously than was arguably the case last time around when, when Boris was doing it. Now, um, again, you read various reports, but I think, you know, you know, European negotiators were impressed by... Um, you know, Rishi, Christine Harris and and others, uh, that they were, you know, very, you know, on top of the issues, coming up with ideas. So a proper serious negotiation as opposed to, I don't know, you know, this is only one side of the you know discussion, but opposed to the sort of, you know, the Union Jack wearing sock brigade, um, you know, which which we had last time. Uh, you know, um, uh, Boris's comments were were interesting you know he's going to find it difficult to back it well of course he was because it it wasn't his deal was it you know and in some ways it it reflects the fact that you know his deal you know was was far from ideal um so we can put him to one side and we're still in a period where the erg so the european research group and the conservative party that sort of you know group of uh i'd say hardline i mean i'll paraphrase hugely but you know sort of you know more you know more Brexit enamoured uh, types within the Conservative Party, but also the DUP in Northern Ireland are sort of still reserving judgment. So there are lawyers still looking through it. It depends on this deal, excuse me, on this deal, whether there are enough safeguards in it. So in other words, so the safeguards of the sovereignty of, of Northern Ireland by, by allowing the, the Assembly to sort of step in to stop EU good laws applying to Northern Ireland mechanism, sort of the storm or break idea. So there is some power some democratic power for Northern Ireland, if they think that is a real thing, if they think that is powerful enough, 
then you would see them coming on board with it, or at least being quiet about it, in which case Rishi gets it through, no need. If over the next couple of weeks they start to go very cold on it, don't really believe you know, that's a power. Think that maybe that, you know, Rishi has sort of overplayed that and it's not really an effective mechanism for the politicians of Northern Ireland to apply. Then they come out against it. Then we're in the position where we talked about last time, which is the only way this is going to get through is with Labour votes. Does a Conservative government really want to have to rely on the Labour Party to get through one of its flagship Brexit policies? No. And then what would be the ramifications from for that? Mm. So I I seen though that Labour look like they're gonna back this deal. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Starmer said he's gonna back it. Yeah. So what? So in terms of getting this through, who does he actually need support from? Then if he's got kind of Labour backing it, and he's got, and he'll get kind of the DUP backing it and stuff like that. Does that just kind of go through? Then will that will that just kind of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in in essence, if if the DUP and the ERG come on board then he's got no problem and effectively he doesn't really need the Labour votes. If they start to cut up rough, don't like it, then he absolutely needs those Labour votes. So I think probably whatever circumstances it goes through, unless there's a pretty major rebellion on the Tory side, and even then I'd have to work out the maths. But anyway, it would be pretty major for it not to go through. But if it needs the Labour votes, if it needs the Conservative government needing the Labour Party, that's what causes the problems. So it still goes through, but the ramifications, the implications for that could be huge because, you know, Conservative Party members, many Conservative MPs, will not like the fact that the only reason this goes through is because of the Labour Party. So how the ERG, how big that group is, and that DUP vote are still critical... But at the moment, they've gone quiet because they're read. You know, there are there are lawyers and, and others reading this. Uh, you know, the framework t- to see if it's, you know, going to be effective for them. Really, yeah. I mean, I mean, what I found quite interesting actually, Stuart, on that point was when he was trying to sell this to people in Northern Ireland. So he went over and gave a talk. I think was it to a Coca Cola factory or or something along them. It was some. I'm 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 sure he was studying or Monster. I think it was Monster Factory. Anyway, I, th- I think when he was giving a bit of a, a talk on what this framework was, um, he was kind of saying like the main benefit for them is that they'll have a unique opportunity. Northern Ireland will have a unique opportunity that no one else has access to, which is access to the British single market and access to all the benefits of the EU. But it did leave me thinking like we had that before Brexit. Brexit. As, yeah. as, 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 so like, but. What also got me thinking a bit about this was I'm sure Rishi was quite the Brexiteer back, you know, when when it, all these all these kind of um, debates were going on. As it, do you think he's changed his stance on Brexit? Because like it, I just found it quite interesting that he, he he openly just kind of said, "Oh, you've got all the benefits that the, that Britain used to have," kind of thing. I, I, no, I don't think he's changed his position. Uh, I think he was just trying to sell the deal. Um, and mm. you're right, there was a sort of a, a sort of realisation, your part, my part, and probably across Twitter as well, going, hold on, didn't we all used to have that? Uh, and more, because, of course, we had ser- the services bit we were involved in. Yeah. It wasn't just sort of, you know, the goods. It was the services part. And you're now trying to say that Northern Ireland has this really special... Well, but, but also, you know, if I'm different parts of, you know, the Red Wall, if I'm London, what? what hold on, why should Northern Ireland get a better deal now than I do. 
why should they have those benefits and I don't? So, you know, longer term, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, 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 it's difficult to see how they come out of this very well. Mm. Because especially if the economy doesn't pick up or continues to sort of just drop along with not much growth, those sorts of, you know, arguments will be played out and will be raised and different parts of the country in electoral terms may go hold on why should northern ireland get those benefits what about the rest of us type thing but i think that depends on economic growth if if we get growth then frankly nobody will really care northern ireland's a special case nobody really understands the politics over there you know that sort of approach so they won't mind so much if the economy doesn't start to pick up then then you know then it could well cause tensions yeah, and I suppose, you know, we were talking about the SNP last week and stuff, but I suppose it puts a bit of wind back in the SNP sales for kind of independence. You know, if if that conversation goes on about, well, Northern Ireland, they had all these benefits, we don't. Maybe that, that kind of reignites. Yeah, it does. No, I think you're entirely right then. I mean, you know, again, you're, you're doing a special deal for one part of the, of the you know, the, of the country, the country, the United Kingdom sort of, you know, not just, uh, you know, why and why should that particular part of the country sorry apologies the uk <laughs> be any different i say the country the country well, yeah, probably a very english centric uh, view of the world uh, apologies so but you know why should only one part of the uk benefit from that yeah mm. what about scotland what about wales what about london etc et you know so it's yeah. oh, no. it, it feels a bit uncomfortable and yeah you're right when he said it with a straight face i think a lot of people went hold on yeah. i don't think you're really paying attention mate are you yeah I mean, the other the other thing I just wanted to pick up on this, Stuart, was um, so obviously we were talking a bit about culture wars last week within parties and stuff like that. I wonder is is this the end of Boris Johnson's bid to become PM again, and and does it quiet the the kind of far right Brexiteers of of the Conservative Party as as it kind of aligned the whole party? Would you say, or do you think there's still people who kind of doubt this this kind of deal and and doubt, yeah. That Rishi, uh, I think yeah, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, one is that uh, the party will always doubt Rishi. I think there is a he has a, a fundamental problem in that he wasn't elected. You know, he is the person that lost but ended up with the leadership. He's also, despite being a true Brexit believer, the one that people. F- the party, the government, the country as a whole, seem to forget that he was a Brexit, you know, supporter, uh, more so than, and more long-term than Boris was. So, you know, he has a couple of sort of fundamental issues that he has to, you know, he, he still has to overcome. In Boris's head, I don't think Boris will ever give up, you know, until he's kicked out of Parliament or decides that he wants to, you know, count his millions and spend them probably unwisely on wallpaper or something like that. I don't know. Uh, He he, he just doesn't have that level of, doesn't appear to have that level of, you know, self-awareness. Maybe, well, I mean, I don't think, no, I was just trying to think that through. I don't think he's ever going to give up really, is he? No, no, no. Um, but you know, it made me mean he has to go quiet. You know, if he has to go quiet for a couple of months, because actually, this you know, this, the Windsor framework, you know, does what the politicians in Northern Ireland want it to. Or the, sorry, the DUP want it to. Um, then he realises he has to bide his time. 
you know, and he goes quiet for a period of time. But will he will he pop up again? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I do. I think uh, yeah, he's, we're going to have difficulties kind of getting rid of Boris, aren't we? So yeah, um, fair dues. And I mean, just just the final point on this, Stuart, as well. If he does get this framework through, is that is that the last chapter of Brexit done? Is that is that a complete kind of thing, or is there still other things to kind of untie with Brexit? Well, we've still got the you know, I mean, again. The sort of the unpicking of European laws and you know that that side of things. So no, this this keeps going, and I think you know. So there's that bit, and then there's you know an ongoing discussion, and this sort of ties in with the idea of you know that that safeguard that that, that Rishi and you know others have put into the the framework, which is how much do you sign up to future European developments? In other words, how much divergence is there likely to be? Now, we didn't go for an immediate, you know, Singapore on Thames style approach, immediate, you know, huge deregulation and low tax, et cetera, et cetera. Although that was a bit more Liz Truss type approach. We haven't done that yet. But there's no guaranteeing that that isn't the way that the the Conservative government, should they continue in office, decide to go. So, no, I mean, I think this will be a running sore in British politics for the next 20 years I mean I just don't I don't I don't see it going anywhere it'll come and go it'll be quieter and louder at various points but there will always be decisions about how close we are to Europe how closely aligned we are in terms of regulation whether we work with them on certain issues you know whether it be the small boats you know issues just now you know currently that that um you know home secretary is you know literally as we speak uh you know talking about and, and issuing new uh you know draft laws on the go before parliament so it'll keep coming that might be really depressing for everybody sorry about that but i don't think i don't think we get rid of it really oh great well i can't wait for that Stuart. that would be uh, (laughs) that would be great but uh, yeah no that's that's brilliant we'll just take a quick break there and then we'll be back to talk about labor's five missions okay welcome back and yeah we're going to talk now a bit about labor and their five missions to kind of make uh, britain a better place so i think this this came out a couple of weeks ago now, and I think it was all around Labour's campaign really to take power, and and it's it's basically to form their next kind of manifesto to become government. Um, so I think they launched five missions, which will effectively make up the backbone of the manifesto. The five missions included kind of I think it was securing the highest sustained growth in the G seven group. I think it was making Britain a clean energy super power removing fossil fuels improving the nhs uh, reforming the justice system raising education standards so that they're they're five missions they're quite kind of ambitious but also what i i thought stuart i don't know what you thought but i thought they were quite obvious for kind of what the country needs at the minute so they've they've done well to kind of pick pick out those how how do you think these have been kind of received by the wider public so far? I I wondered if it got overshadowed at the time he announced it. Cause I'm pretty sure was it was it the same day that Nicholas Sturgeon stepped down as leader of the SNP? It was around the same time. Yeah, I can't remember the exact. I, you know, I you know I think you can add a sixth one, which is um, you know, you know, motherhood and apple pie. You know, yeah. they are yeah, they're great. They're brilliant. You know, who's going to disagree with them? Nobody's going to disagree with them. Who doesn't want a better health health system? Who doesn't want a, you know, a better operating judicial, uh, you know, sorry, justice system? Who doesn't want, you know, better education for their kids? Um, who doesn't want a growing economy? That's all fantastic. It's the detail. Now, the detail mm-hmm. is apparently coming. 
So this is the big picture. This is what we want to do as if, you know, should we be elected as government? And then let's drill down into the detail over the next, uh, assuming 18 months, um, where they have time to explore these and pull out individual policies and talk about funding and those sorts of things. Because, you know, it's fine. Whatever, whoever the next government is, will have no cash. There is no money. Um, So how do you improve the NHS with no cash? How do you restructure it, possibly? How do you modernise? How do you reform, which Wedge Streeting has talked about as the current shadow um, Secretary of State for Health? You know, how do you raise education standards? How do you work with, you know, teaching unions and nurses and doctors who, you know, fundamentally at the moment are in different government, but in conflict with the government? So you have to solve those potentially those problems unless they're solved by the next election let's hope they are because otherwise i don't know what we will do if there's another 18 months of industrial action across very many sectors but there's a rebuilding of trust there between government of a different party but government and the trade unions in those areas get them on board to reform restructure whatever we're going to do modernize all those sorts of things and then deliver whatever that looks like and that's the bit we don't have so look you know it's easy to be negative and i've been extremely negative there um because i think it's you know it's an improvement they've set themselves the plan and let's just see how it goes let's let's see what that detail is that's what will make their increase their opportunities for government if the plans look pretty doable yeah, because I was going to say that's to it. Like, haven't all governments tried and failed with pretty much everything on that list? Like, I, what what makes kind of Labour's offer any different? And like you say as well, it, it you know we're coming into even more challenging circumstances than we ever have have had before. I'd just like to. I I don't know if he's he, to be honest. I've not really kept up with this, but I don't know if he's kind of announced any any kind of insight to any of these on on any of the airwaves or anything like that. Have Have you heard of kind of any snippets of information on how he's going to deliver any of those kind of missions? No, not particularly, but I don't think we should expect, you know, lots of detail. It will be a drip drip of announcements Mm -hmm. over the next 18 months. That's just how they'll do it. I mean, they don't look in that sense. They don't have to go for a big bang because it just gives the conservative party then 18 months to, to give them a, you know, kicking. Um, So the less opportunity they give to do that, they just need to be seen to be, starting to generate ideas putting forward a positive platform as well as just not being the Tories and you know Rishi and Boris and Partygate and all those other things that's fine but they also have to put forward a positive message which give people a real reason to sign up to that Labour agenda that this is this is stage one so as stage ones go it's fine not hugely inspiring but fine Let's let's see where they go. I mean, I think especially look, look. I mean, you know, out of the five, if if they can get that growth, if they can get growth back and sustainable, then it just opens up so many more opportunities for them across funding for health and education and and across you know other bits. And I, and I think, I mean, I, I suppose I slightly disagree with you in in the sense that you know I think the one that governments haven't tried before, and I agree about education and health. Governments always reform education and health, and you yeah. know, those other things. Cause it just shows that they're doing something. Is probably the the energy bit. You know, that's <laughs> the one that maybe you know certainly by the time the last Labour government left office, um, you know, twenty ten. Now, you know, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, 
you know, climate change was, of course, a thing, but it's nowhere, it wasn't it's nowhere near as important, I don't think, in people's consciousness as it is now. I mean, you know, you only just have to look out of your window to see all the, you know, God, sorry, I'm going to sound like a right old git here, but anyway, you know, the, flower, <laughs> the flowers blooming in, you know, late February, March, you know, but, you know, floods in, you know, New Zealand, you know, massive snowfalls across California to see that the climate is changing. So it, 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 there's a level of consciousness across the world, but not just in the UK, about uh, climate change that wasn't there. So maybe that's the one that is, you know, that Green New Deal, that Green Revolution, uh, you know, energy, green, clean energy superpower. Maybe that maybe that is slightly different. Uh, and maybe that is where a, you know, a left of centre, well, any party, frankly, but in this case, a less of left of centre party can really make a difference and can really start to, you know, show that it's different from from other parties, from other governments. That's it. Yeah, no, 100%. So ju- just moving away from the missions, but still staying with Labour, Stuart, um, I saw in the news as well that Sue Gray made the jump to Labour to become Chief of Staff for, uh, for Keir Starmer. So just just to give people um a bit of background to Sue Gray in case you don't know who she is, but she she was a, a senior civil servant who famously led the inquiry into Party Gate and has always been seen as a an impartial figure. But um yeah, she's now made the leap to Labour. What what do you think that, that says about what she's seen from kind of current governments and, and do you think it indicates that she thinks Labour might be on the right track to be come in the next government in the next election yeah i mean look this this, i mean this is an argument that that blair have made and and others have as well is that labor needs a serious operator to help them prepare to uh, prepare to be in government so you know if you get if you get into government you know labor will have been out for was 2010 my maths isn't very good i did get my gcc maths by coming anyway a long time between 2010 and whenever the next election is so they will have no real idea about how to operate in government so you need a serious player to come in and help you negotiate you know work your way navigate sorry not negotiate maybe in the negotiation as well but navigate <laughs> your way around government so she is that figure now um uh she hasn't taken up the role yet as far as i understand so if this is you know intention and being offered but there is a process to go through uh, you know um, you know various governmental committees and the COBA to go through to get sign off and these sort of things so it's not a done deal in that sense. Um, so there will be a probably a cooling off period between sort of officially leaving the civil service and then taking up any role with with Labour. Um, they could say up to I think it's up to two years to, to you know, to, uh, for that to happen, which would take you past the next election. Probably won't be that long. Probably three months, six months, maybe something like that. The Tories, of course, or many in the Conservative Party, particularly friends of, and allies of, of Boris, are saying, well, this puts a big question mark between part, beside the party gate report, shows she was always, you know, a Labour person, really, etc. Look, this is all this is all deflection. This is all deflection. As a civil servant, they are impartial. Full stop. Nobody, I don't believe, sort of at any point said that that report that she put out, the party gate report, had elements of bias within it. That that was not okay. Now they talked about oh it's overplayed this and they didn't you know criticism in that sense. But in terms of look, you know this is biased. That's not what people said. Now they're saying well it shows that the report's not worth the paper it's written on and it's got serious questions etc. Now you've got two options. That first of all I don't believe that for a second. Secondly, if you've got 
that much of a problem with it, rerun it. Get somebody else to do it. You think it was biased? Fine. What they're trying to do is put question mark beside the Privileges Committee investigation into Boris because that's using the Gray Report as a sort of a basis for some of their, you know, work around whether Boris misled Parliament. So the more that they can undermine that, the more that they can undermine the Privileges Committee report, the more that they can support Boris and stop him from being, you know, you know, kicked out of Parliament or whatever it is, or stop him standing, you know, whatever the you know the outcome might, of that might be. So this is all deflection. This is all about protecting Boris. Fine. Rerun it. Do it again. Let's have, you know, Rishi having to defend Boris and the... Pre- they don't want that. No. no. God, you know, can you imagine? It'd be appalling to have to re... I mean, it's bad enough the first time, but let re- rerun it again. Does that mean the That's Met Police it. have to look at it again on the basis of a new report? Oh, can you imagine the the problems that would come from that? So, the, the, you know, and am I being slightly suspicious? Would they do this to a bloke? Don't know. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think yeah, a, I think there's an element of sexism in there myself as well. But yeah, that's mine. I, I mean, just on that, Stuart. I suppose I, I saw a poll actually on that. Um, I think it was from the Telegraph, which kind of stated that eighty-six percent of the general public think the findings in the inquiry kind of still stand, despite us switching to Labour kind of thing. So, yeah, I think like. Most of the general public, I suppose, are kind of with you and I on. She she is impartial, you know. She's just kind of moving over to Labour because th- there's been a bit of an opportunity there, and she, she may see that as the right step for her and stuff. So, okay, if they're going to complain about it, point to any element in that report which is left wing bias. Exactly, yeah, yeah. They I, just want to play the. They I, want to play the person, not the you know, not the report. If anything, I do wonder, like, if it actually goes a bit easy on government. To be honest, like after. I mean, we're going to find out, going back to kind of the first first thing we were talking about before, at the inquiry, we're going to find out a bit more with that anyway, aren't we? So we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. This, none of these things go away, Ben. They just keep going on and on and on and on. <laughs> that's it, that's it. I mean, I, th- I think, Stuart, maybe we, we leave it there for this week because, um, you know, we, we're coming over time and stuff now, but... Thanks again for, for joining us this week and, and Stuart, thanks for joining me to talk about some of those topics this week. Interesting as ever. And we'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time. So thanks everyone. See ya. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye.